Acts chapter 9. What's the best cereal of all time? Cheerios, Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. I'm just hearing some of the big ones. Reese's Puffs. Yeah, there's a lot of good, a lot of good answers there. I think if you ask me, there's a lot of good options. Some of the top of my list might be uh, Cocoa Puffs or Reese's Puffs. There's a lot of puffs. There's just puffs, corn puffs. Uh, then there's Captain Crunch. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Raisin Bran Crunch, and then there's cereal that's so sugary it's debatable if it's even cereal at all. You guys know about Cookie Crisp? It's basically a dessert, right? Uh, Maybe you would say some of those options are the best cereals out there. Or maybe you're more of a refined cereal eater. I heard somebody liked Cheerios. I think Honey Nut Cheerios should be... On the top of the list. Yeah, you get what I'm saying, Caleb. Uh, But really, of course, if you are an athlete, if you're an athlete, if you are uh, from the sports world, there's only one cereal that matters to you. There is only one cereal box that truly the best of the best, only the greatest athletes of all time have the honor of representing. And I'm talking about Wheaties. I think I have a picture. Wheaties is a cereal that, I looked it up, since 1934, has had only the best of the best athletes on its box. Uh, They've made sure to get anyone who is anyone in the sports world uh, to represent and bring honor to their cereal brand. Wheaties uh, wants to be known as the breakfast of champions, and that's why they basically Uh, Only and almost all of the biggest athletes of the last 100 years have been on a Wheaties box. That kind of makes sense for this cereal brand for Wheaties. They, They want it to look like they're the best cereal out there, so they have to get the best athletes out there. Even if we know it's not really the greatest cereal there is. Their brand needs uh, greatness to make them look great. And we kind of understand that, and we kind of understand the advertising they're trying to do with that. But I think it's amazing when we look at the Bible, when we look at the stories about God and who God is, he doesn't uh, really need or, or use who the world might think of as the greatest and the mightiest kinds of people to make his name look great. In fact, we can find again and again that God loves to save and to rescue and to work in the lives of and to use people who are very ordinary. God likes to use people, in fact, who are needy, who are spiritually poor, who are broken. God rescues uh, spiritually helpless people. He rescues sinners and he saves them and he uses them in order to bring glory to his name. We saw that last time when we looked at the book of Acts, chapter 9 talks about how God saved this unexpected man named Saul. He was a sinner. He was an enemy of God. He was the least likely kind of person to become a convert to Jesus Christ. 
Yet that's exactly what happened. And all of that was going to show the world just how kind and how good and how great God is. He would save somebody who was ordinary, someone who was lowly, someone who was even a sinner, and that would honor his name. And you can find that all throughout the stories of the Bible, especially the stories of Jesus. Jesus said he came not to call those who think they are righteous, but Jesus came to those who who know they are sinners and, and who know they need to repent. Jesus came for the poor in spirit, the people who desperately know they need a savior. And that's the kind of people God uses to bring glory to his name. It's so different from what we might think, and it's so different from the way the world would act. Instead of choosing worldly greatness, God chooses lowly people, needy sinners to show that his name is great and that he is powerful and that he is good. He does this to bring glory to his name. One of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Ephesians 1. And it talks about how God is a saving God of sinners. Apart from anything we can do on our own, God comes into our life and rescues us, even though we don't deserve it. And Paul says in Ephesians that there in chapter 1 that God saves sinners to the praise of the glory of his grace. God looks to needy people and he saves them and he does that for the glory of his name, for the glory of his grace. God gets glory for saving sinners and for working in their lives in this world. He doesn't choose great people. He chooses lowly, ordinary sinners. God chooses to save lowly sinners and to give them a new life living for him. And you know, for us, that is really good news. And that's kind of what we get at in this short story in Acts chapter 9 that we're going to look at this morning. We can talk about these verses with this big idea, and it's just this, that God loves to use ordinary people to glorify his powerful name. God loves to use ordinary people to glorify his powerful name. Here we're just given a very short story of of God working in this world. And it's different from the way our world might think God would work. Instead of choosing great people, God works in the lives of very ordinary, lowly people. And this is, I think, a very encouraging few verses for us to look at this morning. Let's read from Acts chapter 9, and we can start in verse 32. It says, Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up and all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, 
which she continually did. And it happened at the time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two of them to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. This is really just a very short story in the book of Acts, really two stories of God working through very ordinary people to glorify his name. That's good news for us. And first, we can kind of look at this story and break it up and understand it by first meeting Aeneas and Tabitha. I think that's our first point, Aeneas and, and Tabitha. Through, the, through these two miracles of the lives, in the lives of Aeneas and Tabitha, we find God working in ordinary lives. And through that, he is going to make his power known in great ways as the gospel was spreading. The setting for this story, the background was really in one of the most exciting times of the Bible. If you look at it, this was uh, right as the gospel was starting to spread out from Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria. And right after this, it is about to spread to the ends of the earth. Jesus had come and lived. He accomplished something on the cross. By dying on the cross, he could save sinners and he rose again. The work that Jesus had done was something that would have the power to change people's lives. And and that's what Acts is about. Jesus' message and his work was going to spread through the whole world in the new church. And we find ourselves here as that's happening. The good news that Jesus is the savior of sinners, that Jesus was sent from God to rescue sinners from their sin and from judgment is going through the world and it's going through Judea and Samaria. But the way in which God was sending out his message was kind of surprising. It was different from maybe the people who market Wheaties might think of doing it. They wanted, God wanted to use people not who were great, not who were awesome, but people who were ordinary to glorify his name, to show his power. On one of those days, we're told, verse 32, that uh, the apostle Peter, who had known Jesus well while he was here on earth, who was now traveling, and, and here he is encouraging Christians, and he comes to this smaller town called Lydda. And in Lydda, Peter there meets a man named Aeneas, who, verse 33 says, had been bedridden for eight long years. Eight years. Aeneas had been unable to move himself. Eight long years where it became very clear to him and to his family and to 
doctors, to everyone, there was nothing that could be done to heal Aeneas. Aeneas, it it seemed, would never walk again. But then verse 34, the writer of Acts, Luke, he kind of just tells us a very simple history fact. Here's what happened. Here's what happened in real history. Verse 34, but Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. Immediately, he rose up. It's really straightforward. Aeneas was instantly healed by the power of Jesus working through Peter. This was an undeniable miracle. Everyone knew Aeneas was bedridden for eight years. And now everybody in Lydda knew Aeneas was walking. He was healed instantly, miraculously. Verse 35 says, All who lived at Lydda and Sharon in that area saw him, and they turned to the Lord. The power of Jesus was on display in the life of a very ordinary, lowly man. But this story doesn't end with Aeneas. We also get to hear about an even greater miracle in the life of Tabitha, who lived at Joppa nearby. And this starts in verse 36. We get a very similar type of story. And when I think of Tabitha, I can't help but think of my grandma. My grandma's Bible hero was Tabitha, which I always thought was kind of weird, like, Of all the people you could choose, Tabitha, I mean, she's barely mentioned. But the more you look at her, I actually kind of get it. It really is understandable. Tabitha was known for being a woman of good works and of charity, verse 36 says. She was continually caring for those in need. Verse 39 says that Tabitha would make all kinds of tunics and garments that would clothe people who depended on the church to get by. She was generous and caring. She was a model, ordinary follower of Jesus. That might be why my grandma liked sewing shirts for me. I don't know. She was just trying to be like Tabitha. But we really can see why Tabitha was a great example to follow because she was following Jesus But there's nothing really that special about Tabitha. Everyone in in the church at Joppa, it seemed, probably knew this ordinary, faithful Christian woman who served the Lord and loved other people, which made things very hard for the Christians there. In verse 37, we see that Dorcas, Tabitha, has become sick and she has died. Here was a situation where nothing could be done. This is even more severe, obviously, than being paralyzed. Tabitha was dead. Tabitha, it seemed, was gone, and there was obviously nothing that could be done. But this was not the end of the story here. We see that Peter goes and he he squeezes his way through the room of, of widows there, and he sends them out, all these Uh, Christians who were grieving over the loss of Tabitha. And verse 40, our our writer Luke kind of gives us a very similar matter-of-fact statement. Another statement of history. Verse 40 says, Peter knelt down and prayed, 
And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Helpless Aeneas was now healed. And now lifeless Tabitha was now made alive. Why? Not because of something they did. Not because they were so extraordinary or there was something so great about them. But because of how great and powerful and awesome Jesus is. And everyone saw the glory of Jesus working in their miracles. Verse 35 tells us all who lived at Lydda and and Sharon and saw Aeneas and they did what? They turned to the Lord. Verse 42 kind of tells us the same thing happens with Tabitha. Uh, It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Why is this story good news for us? Why is this helpful for us to to think about here? Why does Luke want to write this in, in the story of Acts? Well, here we see that God was shown to these people in those towns, and he is shown to be amazing. To be able to do works that are awesome and great and powerful and that no other person can do. This story is not about At the end of the day, Aeneas or Tabitha, they're not the point. The point is about the power of Jesus. In fact, they could do nothing with what had happened. There was nothing they could do. They were just ordinary, even considered by many in the culture at that time to be lowly kinds of people. But God entered their lives. He entered the story And he showed his power and his love and his awesome ability to heal and to give life. And you know what's amazing? Today, God still loves to do this. But he doesn't do it in the same way as he did it here. He does it spiritually. He does it in a much more important way in people's lives. Jesus still looks to people who are spiritually broken, who are spiritually sick because of their sin. Jesus still looks to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and who can do nothing to save themselves. And he enters their lives and he heals them and he brings them to spiritual life. He rescues, he heals, he shows his power in lowly people's lives. He's shown his power in people's lives here in this church, maybe in your family. He's shown his power in my life and in so many of your leaders' lives. He's shown that he can do what no one else could do by saving us and by giving us spiritual life. Jesus has shown mercy and he's healed sinners and he's given new life. If you're a Christian, you know this to be true. You know that you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, 
Ephesians 2 says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, saved us by grace through faith. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. He entered our lives and showed his power to save us. And now if you are a Christian, you are his workmanship. He's working in your life to bring him glory. And I think all of that should be encouraging to us when we look at what kind of God, when we remember what kind of God we have, who can raise not just physically, but spiritually. It should bring us to worship him if we, if we know him, that he has done this apart from our works. He saved us. And if you don't know Christ, I would just call you to see here who Jesus is. Very simply, in matter-of-fact truth, Jesus is a powerful Savior. He has the power to raise people from spiritual death and their sins to life and forgiveness. If you don't know Jesus, uh, we pray that you would see that Jesus really is a powerful Savior. You would see his power working in our lives as Christians. We pray that you would know that Jesus really can heal your soul from your sin. And this short story points us to that, encourages us with that, I believe. But we also see God working through one other ordinary person, not just through Aeneas and Tabitha. We also see one more person, and that's Peter in this story. Our second point is to look at the life of Peter here. And it's really in Peter that we also get to see in this story that God is working in the life of an ordinary man to make his power and his glory known. Now, there's some differences with, with Peter to Aeneas and Tabitha. We know that uh, Peter, we have a lot of background on him, what his life was like in his story. Peter was here an apostle. He was somebody chosen specifically by Jesus to be his messenger to the early church. That's why Peter had the power to perform miracles at this time. Peter had lived with Jesus for years and had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Peter had the ability to do miraculous things, but I think at the end of the day, Peter is actually very ordinary. Even though he did experience amazing things and he was used uniquely by God, Peter was also just a fisherman from Galilee. Peter had been weak in his faith at times when he walked with Jesus Peter had been known to struggle with doubt in Jesus, yet Jesus had restored him. But here we find ordinary Peter depending on Jesus totally. God is is leading his path out to new places to share about Jesus. And we find ordinary Peter praying, relying on Jesus in verse 40. We find Peter in verse 34 giving all the glory to Jesus It's so clear that this is not something that Peter was able to do in his own ability. This was just Jesus at work through him. And when you look at what Peter did in this story, you don't walk away going, wow, Peter is so amazing. You walk away going, wow, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is powerful. 
as he works through Peter. Peter is, is not the point of this story. Just like Tabitha and Aeneas are not the point of this story. In fact, in Peter's own power, he could do nothing. But God had entered the story. He'd entered Peter's life and he was showing his power and he was working in love and, and using Peter's lowly, ordinary life as he followed him to show the world his glory. I think back here <laughs> to that sign on Roscoe Boulevard. I think I've even said it before. It's, it's the big red and yellow sign with the flashing arrow. And it points to in and out. It's, a, it's the best. It's a sign that everyone loves to see when they drive down the road. But people don't turn in at that sign because it's such an amazing sign and they love to see that sign. They turn in because of what that sign points to. And that's a double-double and fries. You guys get it. But Peter, just like every other Christian, was very ordinary. Even so, he got the opportunity, the gift, to point to someone amazing. It was not about him. His life was not about how great he was. His life was about how great Jesus is as a Savior and as the Lord. He was like a giant sign with an arrow saying, Turn in here, look to Jesus. And we see the example of Peter doing that in this story as he was doing it through so much of the book of Acts. He was just an ordinary, humble man pointing to an extraordinary and powerful Savior who is Jesus. Why is this good news for us when we look at Peter in this story? Well, we're not miracle-working apostles like Peter. And even though it's totally undeserved, if you're a Christian, we do get the opportunity, like Peter, to point to Jesus, to show the world how great it is to live for Jesus and to serve Jesus and to, to give our life totally to Jesus' glory, to point others to this amazing Savior who is the Lord Not to show how great we are, but to show how great our Savior is. To show that he can save sinners who believe in him. And we show that by the way we live in our words and in our actions and in our choices. God gives us the opportunity to serve and to live for him even though we don't deserve to. Even though there's nothing special about us. If you're a Christian, you know and worship God because of the joy it is to be used by him, to to live your life for him and to have him working in your life. Ephesians 2.10 says Christians are his workmanship. We are created by Jesus for good works, which he created before we were even born. God loves to save and to work in our lives and people who are helpless and who are lowly, who are ordinary people. And we see that really clearly in the life of Peter, and the life of Tabitha, and the life of Aeneas. I wonder if your life is bringing glory to God because he has saved you, because he loves you. I love how this story reminds us of that truth. 
There are, are many brands. There's lots of companies out there. There's lots of Wheaties boxes that they really need other people to make them look so great and so awesome. But God doesn't need us to make him look great. He is great. He is awesome. And he uses weak and ordinary people to glorify his name. That's what happened here on those days in Acts. And that's what can happen in your life if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord. He loves to work in the lives of ordinary people like us to glorify his name as powerful and good. Let's pray to him. God, thank you that you are a powerful savior, that you have entered into people's lives and you have rescued them from something much more serious than physical pain or from even physical death. You've rescued us from the spiritual deadness of our sin. Because of what you've done on the cross, Lord Jesus, we know that those who believe in you can be forgiven and can have everlasting life. We thank you for the fact that you look upon people who don't deserve your love, yet you still love us and you use our lives for your glory. Lord, I pray that there would be no student in this room that would miss out on living their life for your glory. And I pray that you would bring great glory to your name in our hearts this morning, even through reading these verses. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.